About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being crushed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word of the Lord. Thank you. If you would, please pray with me. Our Father, we come this morning in the name of Jesus. And as we come in his name, we trust that you will hear our prayers. We trust that you are eager to answer them. Father, a few moments ago, we sang the words, I need thee every hour, every hour I need thee. And Lord, at this moment, I confess that I need you at this hour. I need you to help me and enable me to serve your church and serve your purposes by speaking your word. Lord, on this day, Before this passage, I feel woefully inadequate, woefully unable to help your people unless you come, you dwell here, and you help your people. Unless you come, you dwell here, and you speak to your people. So, Lord, I look out over this room. And I pray. 
that you, by your Spirit, would work something today that changes everything for those who are here. But I pray that those of us who are spiritually sluggish and distracted would be awakened. I pray that those who might be spiritually dead, separated from you and far off, would be brought near and given life. I pray that all of us would leave here with an overwhelming desire to know Christ, to cling to Christ, to bask in His grace. Lord, would you do this this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 5. If you're our guest today, you should know that we're working our way through the book of Hebrews. And, and so it is that we come to the passage that Suzanne um, just read for us. Um, often preachers stand up and say kind of faux humble things like, Lord, unless you speak through me, nothing good's going to happen here. Um, but today, we stand, whether you realize it or not, before one of the most difficult passages in all the New Testament to understand. And um, those of you that are well studied, probably 60% of you are going to be disappointed in what I say, and 40% might kind of like it, and I really don't care. Because I think the Lord has a very clear message to deliver here today. And I'm just praying that he'll deliver it. And um, so with that, our message today is entitled Earnest for Maturity. I'm just interested. Who's used the word earnest in conversation this week? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. My son's lying. Anyone besides him? Okay. No. But really, the point of this passage is to the church, that's to the people who claim to belong to Jesus, it is yearn, long, strive, fight, be angry, be motivated, be driven to bear fruit for God's glory. That's the, that's the point of this passage. And all he's doing is using different forms of rhetoric, encouragement, warning, and a big thick layer of grace to say, Christian, long to bear fruit for the glory of Jesus. There's lots of details and we can get lost in them. There's lots of trees that could cause us to miss the whole forest. But the point of this passage is this. Maturity in Christ matters. Children of God 
are earnest to pursue this maturity. Maturity and Christ matters. Children of God are earnest to pursue this maturity. Now, if you didn't come here today to listen to me talk, that's it. Take that with you and go. Let me show you. This is really what is the point of the passage. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So what's his point? Exhortation, let us go on to maturity. It is the purpose of the author of this passage. It is the purpose of the Holy Spirit who inspired this passage that our takeaway would be God wants His children to pursue maturity in Christ. Will you at least grant me that from that passage? Now go down again. Verse 11, because He's going to come back to it. And we desire... Each one of you, that is, each one of you who claims the name of Jesus, who belongs to the people of God, to show the same earnestness. There's our word that we don't use often, which means vigor and intensity and desire. The same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the author's point is that we would yearn for maturity so much so that we would be earnest and not sluggish and imitate those who have followed Jesus well. That is the takeaway from this passage. The author wants the people to be wholly focused on living a life committed to Jesus. Wholly focused on living a life submitted to His truth. Wholly focused on living a life that bears fruit in keeping with repentance and faith. That is His point. Now we're going to look in the weeds and we might get lost in the weeds for a little bit. There's just really no telling how we might come out of this, okay? But the point is, this pastor writing this book to these Christians is saying, look to Jesus, yearn to be like Him, yearn to believe, yearn to follow after Him, and yearn to bear fruit. So I just speak over you in the name of Jesus. If you claim to be a Christian, that's what God wants from you. By His grace, of course. Through faith, of course. As Bill prayed, we can't earn our salvation. There are no bootstraps we can pull up. But the lie permeating the church at large today is this idea that we're saved by grace and God never tells us what to do. And that's a half-truth masquerading as an untruth. Or an untruth masquerading as a half-truth. However you want to say that, it's not true. 
Because Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My blood covers your sin. My life welcomes you into the kingdom of God. And if you belong to me, you have a new heart and you have a Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And I call you to love me and bear fruit. And so I'm just speaking over you what the author of Hebrews is saying. God wants his children to love him and to bear fruit. And if we hide from that, it could be a dangerous reality for us. That's what this passage says. So the author's going to drive this point home in three ways. He's going to make a comparison, he's going to give a warning, and he's going to give hope. So he's going to make a comparison, he's going to give a warning, and then he's going to speak hope. So let's look at those, but each one of them is intended to make this argument. Pursue maturity, pursue Faith that bears fruit. Pursue hope and love and a life devoted to Jesus. So the first thing we see is a comparison. It's a comparison. Now what the counseling and psychology world has helpfully allowed us to see is that often comparison is detrimental to our souls. That we all live with this space between what we thought life should look like and what life looks like. And the wider that gap, the more frustrated we are and things like anxiety and depression and frustration and anger and malice and strife and wrath flow out of us. Well, that's true. But what this author is going to do is he's going to show you the gap. So I have to show you the gap. And he's going to show you the gap because he wants you to see that it's worth fighting through the tension of the gap to pursue the ideal that Jesus calls you to. So he makes this comparison between where the Hebrews are and where they ought to be. This compares to me where the Hebrews are and where they ought to be. And the comparison really boils down to this. The Hebrews are dull to the Word of God and dull to the Spirit of God and dull to the truth of God and dull to living in a way that pursues a life that glorifies God. And he says that the ideal to pursue by grace and through faith is one of not dullness, but earnestness. Meaning alive, moving, active, powerful, empowered, strengthened, and joyful. So he's going to draw this comparison. He's going to exhort them to the ideal. And so I'm going to exhort you to the ideal, which is earnestness yesterday I had to rehang a shutter at my house thanks to the storm and some faulty manufacturing of plastics to hold shutters on the side of houses anyway I'll, I'll leave that but it blew off this week and so I had to use a drill to drill the hole out so that I could hang the shutter back up with the new pieces of plastic that will blow off in the next storm. That's the futility of life. That's Ecclesiastes. We'll study that later, okay? 
But the reality is, my drill was charged, it had battery life, and my bits were brand new, which meant they were sharp. And so I got a full 20 volts, and I got sharp bits, and they made quick, effective, joyful work of those little pieces of plastic stuck in the side of my house. But if the battery was on the edge of death, and if the bits were dull, you know what I would have done? I would have sat there for like 30 minutes, like just flailing around and making a mess of the side of my house because it wouldn't have done anything. And what this author is saying is, I fear that you are dull and your dullness is making a wreck of your life. So he says, he draws this picture. He says, I have much to say. And the much to say is this. In verse 10, who was here last week? Who was here last week? Okay, good, hands up. Who was disappointed that I didn't talk more about Melchizedek? All your hands are still up, okay? All right, I'm just following the author of Hebrews because here's what he says. Yeah, I was going to make this beautifully tangible spiritual point to you, but I couldn't because you weren't ready to hear it. But then he's going to come back to it in a few weeks, and we will too. But his point is this, I'm concerned that you have become so dull of hearing that your life isn't bearing fruit. So he calls them dull of hearing, which means not attuned to hear the voice of the Father. He says that they, verse 12, ought to be teachers by this point, but they still need to learn the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now this is an important thing here. The basic principles of the oracles of God, that's the basic realities of God's truth and God's gospel and God's saving ways, they're important. They're the foundation of the faith. We need to know them. So he's not saying that they're not important. He's just saying that you are still trying to comprehend them. Third, he says making an imagery of a baby, he says, you ought to be old enough to eat food, but you still live on milk. The reason you still live on milk and are still grasping with the basic principles of God's truth is that you are unable to know how to rightly live in God's world under God's truth. Then chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, you are stuck in the elementary foundational truths of Christ. So he says, hey, come here, come close. We need to talk. Here's what I perceive of you. You're dull of hearing. 
You're stuck in the basic principles of the word of God. While you're spiritually seven years old and have a mouth full of teeth. All you can consume is milk. You don't know how to live rightly and make godly decisions. Living under God's truth and God's world. So you're stuck in the elementary truth of Christ. Uplifting message, right? All sign up for coming to hear that this morning? Like, ah, that's, that's hard. But he really piles on by showing the ideal. He says, rather than needing teaching in the basic principles of truth, you ought to be teaching. You ought to be passing the faith on. You ought to be eating solid food. You should know how to discern good and evil in God's world. And you should have consistent practice living in God's ways, in God's world. So what he's saying is, Christian, the Lord saved you so that you would pursue a level of maturity and you've made peace with immaturity. And this is a problem for us. And it's a problem for your soul. And it's a problem for where you are in life. Let me see if I can make some application here. You know, Redeemer Church is filled with people that love to read and study and think and argue about ideas. And most of you are like, yeah, that's why I'm here. We're called nerds. The world doesn't like us. But I'm the chief nerd, so welcome. Jesus can redeem our nerdiness. And on one level, this passage is the nerd's vindication. Because it says this. Our faith is a faith of truth and content and instruction. And maturity requires a foundation of content and truth and instruction. And if we don't have that foundation, we are unable to grow. But, there's also a sense in which nerdy people, like me, use our nerdiness to prevent us from being called to account. And it goes like this. Hey, stop yelling at your children. That's an ethical imperative rooted in the scriptures. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Ephesians chapter 6. Go look it up. But what overly intellectual people can do is they can try to tie the Bible in knots and say, oh, but what that really means is this. And if you knew the verb tense of this, then you might really realize that exasperate doesn't mean what you think exasperate means. And really, I'm innocent, so stop telling me what to do. We've all had those encounters, right? So the goal here is not a big head with a malnourished body, nor is it a big body with a malnourished head, but the goal in this passage is a mature Christian 
who knows the basic truths of the gospel, the basic truths of God's word, and is able to walk in them. Who's able to live under their authority. Who's able to yield to the Lord in all things. So when he says elementary doctrine of Christ and when he says the principles, the basic principles of the oracles of God, he tells us what he means by those things. The reality of sin and repentance. This is in verse 2 and 3, 1, 2 and 3 of, of chapter 6. The, the, the nature and important nature of baptism and the laying on of hands, and the important understanding of eternal resurrection and eternal judgment. He's saying the basic foundational elements of our faith are that we are sinners who need a Savior. We come to the Savior through repentance and faith. We enter the community through baptism. The laying on of hands was a practice in the early church to symbolize the Spirit of God coming to dwell in a believer. So we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that this life is not just the here and now, but it's eternal. And we will live forever. And we will live forever either in the kingdom and presence of God or separated from Him in a place called hell. That is our gospel And he calls that the basic elementary truth of the gospel. So hold on, Pastor. By the way, I know we're not finishing this passage today. Let's just go with it, okay? Let's be free and impulsive. Because when you think of me, that's what you think of, right? (laughs) And joyful and soft and happy. But you say, hold on, Pastor. Is he saying that the gospel is elementary and we need to leave the gospel? No! But he's saying the gospel is the foundation and there's supposed to be a building on top of the foundation. What he's saying is foundations are for buildings. And the building is our lives, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our decisions, our actions, our thought life, our morality, our living for the glory of God, our seeking to build the church that is devoted to Jesus, all of that is built upon the foundation of the gospel. And if there's no gospel, there's no foundation, the building falls in. And there is a sense in which we will live upon the foundation of the gospel for all of eternity. But the purpose of the gospel is not, I'm bad, Jesus saved me, yay, I get to go to heaven when I die. The purpose of the gospel is, I'm a wretched sinner. Jesus saves wretched sinners. The Spirit dwells within me. And He is calling me to bear fruit for His kingdom in the here and now through faith, through maturity, through knowledge, through community, through fellowship, through service, through ministry. That's the house that's built upon the foundation. And He's saying, don't settle for a good foundation seek to be a house built upon the foundation so when he says let us pursue maturity and leave the elementary doctrine of christ he doesn't mean let us leave the doctrine of christ 
He means let's, let's move into maturity that's built upon the elementary doctrine of Christ. My um, parents live out in the sticks. Not sure why they moved to the sticks after I went to college, but they did. And just down the road from them, someone started to build a house one year. And so we noticed, you know, like, Thanksgiving is really not the best time to be pouring a foundation because, you know, like, it's hard to build in December and January, but, but they poured the foundation. And then between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they had all the wood to be the structure of the house delivered, and they sat it on the foundation. And then in early spring, they got some of the beams up, and the construction ceased. And so a year later, all the wood was rotten and kind of starting to bend a little bit, right? Two years later, the wood is just completely rotten, completely fallen in. And all you got is a foundation with some dirty wood upon it. And now, five years later, the grass has grown up all over it and no one even knows that there's a foundation under there. And I always thought to myself, because I'm cheap, what a horrible waste of money. poured a foundation and they bought all the wood and they never did anything with it. What this passage says to us is that Jesus is the foundation. He gave us His Spirit. He bought all the materials. He had them all delivered. And He's eager to build a house on the foundation. It's our calling to want to be a mature structure that, that displays the glory of our Savior and the great power of His saving grace. This comparison says, don't settle for being dull but yearn for maturity. Don't settle for being dull, but yearn for maturity. So I want to offer a few concluding remarks here. And we'll come back next week. Number one. If you don't have a grasp of the basic principles of God's truth or a grasp of the elementary doctrine of Jesus Christ, the best and wisest thing you could do is to admit that and ask for help. This passage is not shaming those who don't know. This passage is confronting those who know plenty and aren't doing anything with what they know. So if that's where you are today, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to me. 
And I'm not sure that the Lord or the author of Hebrews would give you too stern of a warning. But he would say, hear the good news of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ who gave his life as a sacrifice for your sins so that you could turn away from sin and rebellion toward God in faith and you could have life now and life everlasting. If that's where you are today, consider Jesus. Here's three ways you could, that you could do that. Number one, you could turn to the Gospel of John, kind of right in the middle of your Bible, and you could start reading. The Gospel of John was written that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have life in His name. It's a guide to know the basic truths of the doctrine of Christ. Two, there's a book that I love to give out, so much so that when I got here today, I planned to have a stack of them sitting right here. Um, I don't have any, because I give it out too much. But I'll get you one. The book is called Basic Christianity by John Stott. If you want to read a little deeper, Basic Christianity by John Stott lays out the basics of the truth, the gospel of Jesus. Back there on that black table, right underneath the thermostat, I'd appreciate it if you didn't touch the thermostat, there is a book called Two Ways to Live, the child and the adult version, which lay out the basic principles and the doctrine of Jesus that we are called to consider and believe and build our lives upon. So if you're here today, and you're wrestling with the truth of who Christ is, then I invite you to consider it. Second, if you're a Christian, claiming to be a child of God in Christ, and not a baby one, meaning you've been a Christian for some time, This passage calls us to maturity. Will you make maturity in Christ your goal? And I want to talk about discipleship for a minute. Discipleship is an overused church word that often means read a book. That's not what this author has in mind. What he has in mind is a life that knows the truths of the Word of God and knows the truth of God in such a way, look at verse 14, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Maturity is a life filled with truth that works its way out into a life of Christ-likeness. One of my uh, college professors, a man named George Guthrie, says this, We make decisions in life based upon our thought processes. Our beliefs, therefore, affect the way we live, the relationships we keep, and the commitments we make or break. 
If we are deep in the faith and nurtured on biblical truth, we are better prepared to make the right decisions as we walk the Christian life. Decisions in line with perseverance. And so I'm exhorting you to make the goal of your discipleship decisions that line up with perseverance in Jesus. Third, I'm borrowing from an author named Philip Hacking, and lest I be accused of plagiarism, I want to give him credit. Third, we must recognize that there is a difference between childlike faith and childish faith. We must recognize that there is a difference between childlike faith and childish faith. Now, we oft quote in the church, Jesus, our Savior, said, don't hinder the little children from coming to me. And he looked at the pharisaical know-it-alls who loved the law more than they loved the Lord and said, you need the heart of these children. And what that means is, you need to come to me like an eager, needy child who knows that the only answer is my grace and say, Father, be merciful to me. That's childlike faith. And if our knowledge and our living is ever anything less than that childlike faith, it's unbiblical and Jesus will not honor it. But those words of Jesus have been taken and misapplied to mean this. We don't need truth. We don't need theology. We don't need deep thinking. We don't need ethics. We just need to be children. No, we need to have the neediness of a child in the mind and the body and the ethical decision making of an adult. So this is not an excuse for childish He says, like a child, press on to maturity. And I know that's a, that's a bit of a dilemma. But with the faith of a child, press on to maturity in Christ that's rooted in the truth of God's Word and lives for the glory of God. Fourth, fight dullness. Fight dullness. He says, you have become dull of hearing. And what he's saying is, it is possible for a genuine Christian who genuinely believes in Jesus and genuinely has the Holy Spirit of God to become dull to the voice of God and the Word of God. And he is saying, fight the dullness with a desire to be mature. So I just ask you simply, what is it that makes you and I complacent and dull of hearing to the voice of God? Is it your phone? Is it your gaming system? Is it your favorite sports team? Is it your children's extracurricular activities? Is it your addiction? Is it your hobby? Is it your work? Is it having a perfect house? Or a perfect yard? 
Is it serving so much that we never let our soul bask in the presence of our Savior? Here's the thing. Some of those are more culturally acceptable and some of them are less culturally acceptable. But whatever it is, if it dulls our attentiveness to the voice of God, it's sin. Fight against it. Fight against it by repenting and by asking the Lord to make you quick to hear. Final point. We need God's help and we are not Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. This we will do if God permits. But based upon the totality of the Scripture, based upon verses 9, 10, and 11, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. God is eager to help His children walk in a childlike faith that pursues maturity. So let us be quick to ask for help and quick to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. Now I have no idea what I was thinking that we were going to finish that whole passage today. Here's the reality. We all need Jesus, and if we have Christ, He calls us to maturity. Let's go. Each week here at Redeemer Church, we take the Lord's Supper. A piece of bread symbolizing the body of Jesus, a cup symbolizing the blood of Jesus poured out for us. And as we take them, what we're saying is, I cling to Christ, and He's all that I have. I cling to Christ. He's everything that I need. I cling to Christ. I want my life to glorify Him. So here at Redeemer, we invite anyone who's a Christian, anyone who has professed faith in Jesus for salvation, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not one who has professed faith in Christ, or maybe you're not even sure, let the bread and the cup pass because nothing magical happens there. But wrestle with this question. Am I willing to be taught the truth of Jesus and brought to saving faith? And if that's where you are today, come talk to me about it because I would love to help you learn to follow Jesus. So we're going to sing. These guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.